Okay, everybody got a handout? We're on part six of Crossroads, turn six. Next week, we'll finish this series. And then, the following week, we will start a journey, and I mean journey, through Joshua. And I'm very excited about that study. It's going to be a very, very productive and fruitful time together. I am confident. I've been excited about teaching through Joshua for some time. So we'll be starting that in two weeks. Uh, how many people here are, do puzzles? Let me see all my puzzle people. Don't be shy now. I'm new to the puzzle game, see? So this is all new to me. All my life I have admittedly shunned puzzles. Then a little kindergartner came into my life recently and she believes that it is morally wrong to do a puzzle by yourself. And you must have someone with you when you do a puzzle. And so I have done hundreds of puzzles in the last six months. So I went from zero to drowning in puzzles. And I've learned that I've been missing all this time. Like, I never knew. I thought, how boring is it to look at something and find shapes and stick them in the thing? And I don't know. I just didn't get it. Now, I get it. So here's what happens. She brings me the puzzles. So at first, you know, we're doing kindergarten puzzles. And then they're, you know, but she gets better and better at them. And I get better and better at them. And then we start advancing and advancing and advancing and so on and so forth. And so... When she decides she wants to do a puzzle, she comes down and gives me this little pouty face. And so I say, well, you know, I don't want to do a puzzle that I've already done. I mean, I've already done that puzzle. We've already defeated, conquered that. Do you have a new puzzle? Plus, when you're dealing with a kindergartner, here's the deal. If I don't actually see her open the new box, I don't have confidence that all the pieces are in there and I'm not going to spend hours upon hours doing something only to find out that there's pieces missing. So here's what she does. She comes down. She's developed this new trick. She comes down and gets me to do a puzzle and I agree and sit down and then she holds up a Ziploc bag full of puzzle pieces. And I'm going, uh... What are we doing with that? And she said, we're going to do this puzzle. And I said, well, we can't do the puzzle because we don't have the box. We don't have the picture. She goes, exactly. Now, that's a whole new realm of puzzling. What is it? Is it puzzling? I'm puzzled by the whole thing. So here's what you do, in case you don't know, because now that I'm officially in this club, you take all the pieces and you get all the edges and you get them isolated. And then within the group of edges, you then begin to separate by, please don't email me and correct anything that I'm saying. I will be furious with you. Then you separate them by color. Okay? And then you begin to work on the edges. Once you've completed the edges, still not exactly knowing what it is that you're trying to assemble here, then you start to just take the other pile and do the same thing by color and start working your way around. And it's actually a little bit more exciting when you don't know what you're making until you've already made it. Right? Now why am I telling you all this? Because 
This is exactly how God deals with us. God knows exactly what the puzzle looks like. He made the puzzle. But He doesn't give you the box. You have no idea what the finished product looks like. He just gives you the pieces. And within the pieces, there are things that you can begin to do. And so you can connect certain pieces together and you can begin the process of starting to build something, but you do not know what you're building as you're going. And that's why we need wisdom. That's why we need to to know what to do when we're at a crossroads. How do we make decisions? How do we decide? Because God doesn't just spell it right out. He doesn't just give you a, a checklist to go through. That's not how life works. And so the question is, well, why does God lead us this way? Well, why? Well, why is it His choice to lead us in the way that He does? You know, we, we pray oftentimes and we ask, we say, God, will You show me? Will You... Believe me, I'm the king of asking God to show me the box. Please. Because I'm always walking around with a sack full of pieces. And I want to see the box. But He doesn't show me the box. And little by little, piece by piece, I begin to make out what I'm doing. And slowly I begin to get an idea of, of what He's doing. And so here we have this manual that He's provided us to put these, this big puzzle together. But He doesn't tell us all the details. He merely provides principles that we can apply to make decisions. Remember, wisdom is not information. If, if you know, there are certain things that we've just repeated over and over and over through this whole series. And one of them is, is that wisdom is not information. Knowing what to do is not, does not make you wise. Knowing what to do and applying that makes you wise. It is the application of correct information that makes wisdom. And so here's what the Bible does. The Bible doesn't just give us no hints whatsoever. There are edge pieces. And there are certain colors. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's maybe some of you, uh, because I've already heard from a couple folks from Wednesday night that are like extreme puzzlers. And so they're so into their puzzles that they get puzzles that are, you know, monotone and so on and so forth. So you, the, the, you can't move them by, you know, and whatever. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He gives us pieces, but they're also, He gives us useful things. So here's what He does. He gives us this, the Bible and it outlines a person that we can follow. And occasionally dictates the way that we should go in a particular juncture. Occasionally. So you're going along and you're, you know, you're putting together your edge pieces and, and things are starting to take shape. And then you'll get to a place and you'll think, now what do I do here? And then the Bible will say, put this piece here. And you'll go, now see how easy that was, God? Why can't we do that like a thousand times in a row? But He doesn't. It's just every so often, He'll just clearly say, this goes here. There's some, some guideposts to keep us together. Now, we wish that things were different. We wish He'd just tell us what, I mean, 
I've often thought about in in 66 books, in this number of pages, he could spell out a lot of things. He could he could he could tell me exactly what to do in a lot of like we he could have taken the top 10 most significant decisions that we'll make and he could have just spelled them out a to z do this first then this then this then this then this then this wouldn't that have been he didn't do that now the reason that our flesh desires this step-by-step approach is because it would Require less effort. I mean, you know, this is what I found out about putting puzzles together. It's fun until you hit a brick wall. It's fun as long as the pieces are flowing. And so, these are, this is all new to me. This moment where you got to get up and walk away from the puzzle. Just leave it alone. Just forget about it. Come back a few hours later, start again. Because you're frustrated, because you can't figure, you know, you're like, what is, where is this piece? And when you can't find, you might find 10 other pieces, but you're obsessing over the one that you can't figure out. It's less effort if we're just told what to do. But here's the thing we must realize that God is graciously allowing us the excitement of active participation in His plan, rather than ordering us around like robots. Really, as we begin to think through this this application process of all this information that we've gleaned about making decisions, when we start putting it all together, it ought to be exciting. You You should leave here tonight and be very excited about the way that God has done things and, and the fact that He's, rather than just Giving us all the answers. He's in, in other words, I mean, it's crazy how sometimes you just are doing something in life and then something like sitting there, you know, putting a puzzle together with a six-year-old and then it dawns on you. That's what God does with me. He doesn't give me the answers. He says, Tony, I want you to sit next to me and let's put this puzzle together. He doesn't want to put it together alone. He wants me with him. You see? And so as I'm doing something, I'm realizing she's teaching me something. It's amazing. So Pastor Matt gave us these principles last week. And so it was was a lot of just, you know, bullet points. He gave us these three principles and he broke them down. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take those principles tonight and we're going, to, we're going to put them into use and we're going to look at the process. We're going to actually make decisions tonight. We're going to walk. So there's going to be things as we're going through this in your mind that you're trying to make decisions about. And so you're just going to start going through this process mentally and just seeing how God's ordained us to be able to make decisions. So in other words... Tonight's about the daily practice of applying the principles. Just in everyday life. These are the same principles that I apply to make a big decision that I, try to, that I just use 
daily making seemingly small decisions. Because I don't ever know if it's really a small decision or not. And so really, you know, over time, you just these things just go through your mind and you just use them every day over and over and over to make decisions over and over and over. And you don't always know what the outcome's going to be. You don't you don't know whether or not you know you're making the right decision or not, but I have peace in the fact that my intention is to honor you, God. The question is never am I making the right decision? That's never the question, honestly. It might be the question that our flesh is wanting to ask, but the truth is, the question is, am I walking in the Spirit? Because when I'm walking in the Spirit, I will not accomplish the work of the flesh. Okay, so when we make a decision, all right, recap. Be. This is what you've got to be when you make a decision. This is just, you know... You miss step one, and it really doesn't matter where you go after this. You've got to be these things. Number one, walking in the Spirit. That's who you've got to be. We talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Number two, recognizing God's sovereignty. I honestly, you know, I, I mean, I... I encounter people all the time. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't who, who, who just don't embrace the sovereignty of God. I don't know how they read the Bible. I, I don't know how they make decisions. I don't know how they do anything. I just, that just is beyond, it just blows my mind. But I don't believe you can make decisions without recognizing the sovereignty of God. And then pray for wisdom. Because God promises over and over. There's at least 10 places that I know of that God specifically promises to give wisdom to anyone who asks. His children. He gives it. So just pray for it. Okay, so that's what you've got to be. Alright, so here we go. We're going to ask. We're going to ask three questions in the decision-making process. doesn't matter what you're... You could be making the biggest decision. You could be trying to decide who you're going to marry, which in my opinion is the biggest decision a person will make after salvation, bar none. Or you could be making a decision about, I don't know, whether or not to buy a new car. I mean, I, it could be anything. Same questions. Same process. Question number one. What does the Bible say about this? I know that every week we've said this, but that's because we know that if there's anything that's going to... If there's any seed that Satan's going to try to snatch out of your mind about making decisions, it's going to be this one. We cannot overemphasize this. It's impossible. Does the Bible speak directly to this issue? Or is there a principle that applies to it? So it doesn't matter what decision you're making. Is there direct conversation? Does the Scripture directly address? Or is there a principle that's laid out in Scripture that would guide me to what I need to do in this decision? If so, then here's the big million dollar question. Do I understand the passage? So, you are making a decision. You've find that the Scripture addresses that, 
So, so your first question is, before you run off on a tangent, is do I understand this passage? Do I know what this passage means? How do you just quickly and simply resolve this issue? Just, I'm talking about just daily, constantly, all the time, just in no time at all. Listen, you take your study Bible, and if you've got any reasonably uh, credible study Bible, Hopefully you have a good study Bible. You bought it from the bookstore. Or you bought one that we would recommend. So you have a good study Bible. You just open it. You, you find where that, those verses are. Look down at the bottom and then just read the, the couple sentences relating to that text. And is that in line with what you're thinking? Now, if that's not in line with what you're thinking, that is a clear indication you need to seek some biblical counsel. That doesn't mean that your study Bible is always correct, but it means that you need counsel. Because you're thinking one thing, and it's thinking another thing, so you need to check that. Don't just assume that because the Bible says something, ask yourself, well, do I understand what the Bible's saying here? Have I read this in context? Have I looked at this? And a lot of times it would be yes in this room. But you need to ask that question. Okay. Now, if at any time in the process, at any time, come on, cooperate with me. There we go. If at any time in the process of making a decision, we realize that Scripture speaks to the issue, we punt immediately. You just instantly forget the whole process and obey what the Bible says. The minute you know the Bible speaks to this issue or there's a principle that speaks to this issue, and I understand that passage or principle, Stop. Obey it. Move on. It doesn't matter how disconnected the Bible seems from whatever the issue is, the decision that you're trying to make is. It doesn't matter how, uh, you know, I've heard every excuse under the sun. I've heard it all. I've heard all the things about, well, but you know, I mean, God doesn't, you don't understand all the particulars of my situation or or most of the things that pertain to this weren't even invented when the Bible was written. Or, you know, it's amazing when we have an agenda how suddenly God just shrinks down so small, right? Listen, you can take it to the bank. You will never, nor will you ever in your lifetime meet a person who said, what I did was obeyed exactly what the Scripture said and it didn't work. It's not going to happen. It will not happen. Just do what the Bible says. Trust me. Just do that. You can have full assurance, full confidence that what God has said will be the best thing for us in every situation. That's the amazing thing about God. Is that whenever I'm... I'm you know, I'm used to, this is the thing, I'm used to having to figure out where the puzzle pieces go. Because that's sort of the whole point of the puzzle. And sometimes I forget that God has invited me to spend time with Him as we put this puzzle together, to, you know, with each other. But, and I begin to become self-reliant. And I begin to think that I'm the only one working on the puzzle and that if I don't put the pieces where they need to go, nobody's going to put the pieces there. And so God comes along and hands me a piece and says, this piece goes there. And when He says that, 
He's never wrong. He will never hand you a piece of the puzzle that doesn't fit exactly where He says it will fit. And here's how I know that that's true. Not because I've made every decision that's ever needed to be made, nor have I made every decision that's been made in this room. But here's what I have done. I have stood at the bedside of people after people after people. I have, I have been with more saints that pass from this life to the next than you can imagine. And I've had more deathbed conversations than you can imagine. And I know how that goes. And let me tell you what people who know God say. They say every time that I listen to God in my life, it worked. And all the regrets and all the things I wish that I could take back were the times I didn't listen to Him. And in the moment, it's going to seem so foreign. It's going to seem so unreliable. It's going to seem because your emotions are mixed up in it. The bigger the decision, the greater danger we're in. But listen, I'm telling you, I promise you. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. You ask my wife. It doesn't matter. It could be anything in the world. We don't know what to do. We open the Bible. If the Bible says do this, there's no discussion. We don't even, there's, we don't even, we just do it. Just do what it says. Now, Look at the promises He gives us. Matthew chapter 11. Come to Me all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Why don't you take My yoke upon you? You're straining to put these pieces together. But if you'll take My yoke upon and learn from Me. Learn that you can trust Me. Learn. What is He talking about? Learn that My way always works. Learn. Learn that I am here with you as you're trying to make out what this puzzle is. I'm with you. And you can trust me. You learn from me. I'm gentle. And I'm lowly at heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that beautiful? 1 John 5.3 For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments aren't burdensome. When He says put this piece here, it's not burdensome. It's a blessing. But we feel like, well, why is He telling me what to do? And why does He think He knows everything? Because He does. And He loves us. He knows. He knows. So you see this silly slogan all over the place. You know, you always see this. People used to put this on bumper stickers. Thank God I haven't seen this in a while. It, it says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That just always annoyed me. That should never say that. It should say, God said it, that settles it. Why does it say, I believe it? Who cares? What has that got to do with anything? No one cares if, if you believe it. It doesn't matter. I mean, you should care, but that has no bearing on what the point of it is. If God said it, well then that's all I need to know. You see... God's Word's not true because, because we believe it. It's true because He said it. And if we don't believe it, it doesn't change anything. It just is. 
So even though we might not understand why the Bible says the things that it says, or even, listen, I, I mean, I live in the real world. I know that our feelings and our desires are pointing us another way. I get it. We still must obey God's Word. We must. It's for His honor. And believe me, believe me, it is for our good. This is why Scripture has to be preeminent above all things in decision making. It absolutely, positively, without any shadow of a doubt, has to be. I put First uh, Samuel 15 here just to show you something because I just wanted to, to make a point to you. You know, in First Samuel 15, this is where King Saul defeated the Amalekites. You may remember this story. And, and so God sent him in to defeat the Amalekites. And He told him when he went in, He said, now, when you go in, I want you to kill everybody and I want you to kill all the animals. And so Saul goes in. God gives the victory. Kills everybody. And then Saul looked at those animals and he saw those fine animals. And he thought about, man, it's a shame just to waste all those animals. And I mean, the point of all this was defeating this people. And I defeated the people. I mean, the animals can't turn against us. I mean, what difference do the animals make? I mean, it makes sense in the flesh. I mean, what difference does it make? And so God speaks to him through the prophet. And he says, Is the Lord, does the Lord have great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices? Remember, he tried to have all these sacrifices to say, Oh no, Lord, everything's okay, you know. As in obeying the voice of the Lord. See, look at God's motivation. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And I'm telling you, I, I, I use that passage of Scripture because that is such a human moment where we could so just talk ourselves right out of doing what God said because, I mean, we did the important thing. You remember in Numbers chapter 20, Moses leading the children of Israel across the wilderness? They get out in the middle of the desert. There's no water. I mean, you got a million plus people, a gazillion animals. You got women, children, you got everybody. There's no water. I mean, we got a serious crisis on our hands. The people start flipping out and rebelling against Moses. Oh, you brought us out here to die. We would have been better off if you'd have left us in Egypt. Why are we out here doing this? Oh, everything's terrible. And so Moses gets Aaron and they go to the tent of meeting and they fall on their face before the Lord. They're like, Lord, we need water. Like, Lord, I don't know where this puzzle piece goes. Like, I don't, what, what's happening here? You told me to come out here and to lead these people. I'm leading the people. And now there's no water. Like, I don't see how this fits into the picture. And God says, no problem. Take your staff. Go to the rock. Strike the rock. Water will come out. Really? That's it? Okay. Up they go. So what happens? You know the story. He walks out there and the people are whining and complaining and annoying Moses. And he, he says, you rebels, why should we give you water? Oh, really? Really? 
Why should we? He's talking about him and Aaron. We ain't giving you nothing. We can't make water come out of a rock, but that's what he said. And then he took his stick, and what did he do? He took his staff, he struck the rock, and then he struck it again. And Niagara Falls came out of that rock. They were swimming in an Olympic-sized swimming pool, except for it was the biggest Olympics ever. There was water everywhere. And they all drank. And you know what they're doing? Moses is the greatest. Look at Moses. He's amazing. He's awesome. And they're frolicking in the water and they're going, we love you. We'll follow you anywhere. You're so wonderful. And he's the hero. And while everybody's celebrating Moses' great act of faith, God whispers in his ear, you're not going to lead the people into the promised land. I'm not impressed. I told you what to do and you didn't do it. Listen, this is what I'm trying to tell you, folks. You're a fool if you think God is not specific about obedience. If you think you can just do half of what He said and you think He grades on the curve, you're wrong. You're wrong. And it'll blow up in your face every time. When He tells you to take 10 steps to the left, you take 10 steps to the left. Here's a good way to understand it. When I tell my children to go upstairs and clean their room, I mean go upstairs and clean your room. So if they go upstairs and they get all their junk and they sling it all under the bed and they sling it all in the closet and they wedge the, the, the closet door shut with superhuman strength so that it doesn't explode off the hinges and then they come down and I said, did you clean your room? And they're like, yeah. Let me tell you what I don't do. I don't go up there and say, well, congratulations. I mean, you at least did half of what I said. I don't say, well, let me just apply. Why don't, why don't we go out for ice cream since you, you know, decluttered the floor? No. You didn't do what I asked you to do. Now, you don't appreciate partial obedience, but yet somehow we have fallen into this deception that God is sort of suggesting things. And if it makes sense to us that, you know, it's the Amalekites that really matter. It really isn't about the animals anyway. And we're, we're losing the fact that it is about the animals. Because it's not about the animals at all. It's about obedience to what God said. Because God doesn't want us to rely upon animals in our own strength. He wants us to rely upon Him to provide the animals. He wants us... See... God could have made it to where they never ran out of water in the wilderness. So why did they run out of water? Well, it's very simple. Because God wanted them to run out of water so that they knew what to do when they run out of something and they need provision and they go to Him and He says, now here's what you do. But when you need something and you go to Him and He says, here's what you do and you do 80% of it, don't think that He's amused. Because He's not. He's not. It's a foolish Foolish lie. Whatever the Bible says to do, do it. I don't know any other way to make that point. Question number two. Now you're crossing the line of freedom. 
See, you can all take a deep breath. Now, this is the fun part. What happens is, once you've come to the place where the Scripture does not address the decision I'm making, there's no principle in the Scripture that addresses the decision that I'm making, you step over a line. And it's the line of freedom. And it's a... It depends on how you look at it. A lot of people look at it like it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful. But I'll be honest with you, I prefer take ten steps to the left. But when it's not there, okay. So here's the line of freedom. The line of freedom, it represents the fact that there are many decisions that you face and I face where there may be two or more choices that are acceptable to the Lord. Listen, there's decisions that you face and that I face where there's thousands of choices that are acceptable to the Lord. Millions of choices that are acceptable to the Lord. And I'm talking about big decisions. The decision of... Well, the biggest decision. Who are you going to marry? There's over 6 billion people on the earth. God gives one qualification. Don't marry somebody that doesn't love Jesus. So let's just say there's a billion people on the planet that love Jesus. Or 2 billion people. Okay, so you got 2 billion choices. Well, who do you want me to marry in there? Well, you stepped over the line of freedom. Once you cross the line, well, every single person who loves Jesus, who's the opposite sex, there you go. Does God care which one? No. Do they love Jesus? Are they the opposite sex? Okay. So what do you do? Well, you've crossed the line of freedom. And that happens all the time in all sorts of arenas. You see, many times the Bible doesn't speak directly or even indirectly to this issue that's at hand. So therefore, we're not sinning against God to go either way. There are many crossroads in life where you're standing there at a, at a fork in the road and you can go left or right and either one are equally acceptable to God. You can take a job over here and you can take a job over there and once you've run through a couple things, either way, they're fine. Which one do you want to take? Think about all the decisions that have a multitude of acceptable choices. Therefore, we have freedom, freedom within the will of God and within the boundaries of His Word. You see, His Word, Pastor Matt always says that the, they're guideposts. They're boundaries. They're guideposts. The Word of God. And so, they're, they're there to protect us. So remember, he made the point last week that it's actually a blessing that God narrows the choices down. See, we live in a culture where what we want is all these choices. I don't want all these choices. I want less choices. I find, listen, the, the whole time he was talking about choices, you know what I was thinking about? These are just moments where I feel like it's safe for me to let you into my world. He's talking about how it's a blessing because God narrows our choices. And I'm sitting over there thinking to myself, man, how great would it be 
if I could go in a grocery store and they had one kind of peanut butter and one kind of bread and one... I hate the grocery store because it's like everything's a science project. Why do we need 17 kinds of... I mean, there's like a, literally 250 salad dressings. Is that helpful? That is not helpful to me. That is absolutely not helpful. I want one kind of peanut butter. That's all I need. Or maybe just give me the choice. It's smooth or crunchy. All right, I'm good. But we live in a culture, so you know what we want? We want 17 kinds of peanut butter. We want 50 million kinds of... I mean, seriously. It's out of control. The grocery store, I'm, I'm, I'm just banning myself from it. It's out of control. It's just out of control. But you know what's great about being a Christian? You know, it's simple decisions. Well, what am I going to watch on TV? Well, there's only a certain number of channels I watch. So it's simple. If, if I decide that I want to go to the movies, bingo! You know how easy it is for the Carnes family to go to the movies? That's the easiest decision in the world. We never, ever, ever have more than two choices. Never. Because I just go, whoop, you're out, you're out, you're out. I mean, all I needed, I don't care what it's called, I don't care what it's about, all I care about is what's it rated. It's so easy. So you go, well, do you want to see this or do you want to see that? I, I go to the movies and there's people just standing out there going, looking at all these things. I'm thinking, huh, it's simple. Okay, now back to uh, reality here. Alright. So the character of a good father will relate to his children in this way, won't it? You know what, you know what a good father does? A good father doesn't tell a child every decision to make. That's a bad father. You know what a good father does? A good father gives a child freedom based on their maturity to make decisions within guideposts as to keep them safe, right? So anything within this realm, you, you're able to make a decision. That's how you grow up in a healthy way. That's what God does to us. He says, look, you can't go way over here and you can't go way over here, but anything right here, have at it. Isn't that the character of a good father? Yeah, see, and so when I started thinking about this, I started thinking about how all the times that I would give my children freedom to choose things, and even the freedom to choose things that I knew were bad choices. But it was in the parameters that I gave them. And so I honored their freedom to make the choice. And then I was able to walk with them through the difficulty of that choice. So just for your enjoyment, I'll give you a wonderful illustration. So when my precious, wonderful, amazing daughter went to middle school, she came home one day and said, Dad, I think I'm going to join the band. Now, Melissa, I can see, I'm not even going to look over there because I know you're, you're giving me the stink eye. She said, I'm going to join the band. And I said, you are? Now, this is my child who I know. And I go, so why did this come about? And she's like, oh, well, I, I've been thinking about it. I wanna, I'm like, you really don't want to join the band. What she really didn't want to do was go to P.E., 
what so? I said, honey, are you sure you want to join the band? She said, yeah. I said, now I'm going to allow you to join the band, but here's the deal. If you join the band, you're in. You understand? Especially when Tony buys you a flute, you're in. So, once you make this decision, or, you know, if I want to play soccer, I want to, that's fine, but once you are on the team, you're on the team. You're not quitting in the middle. Even if I know you're going to hate it, but if you decide you're going to do it, this is all part of growing up. So, we joined the band. Actually, it was Kayla and her partner in crime, Caitlin, decided they wanted to join the band, and they were going to play the flute together. Well, you can imagine how that went down. So then she found out that you don't just get a flute and just blow in it and it magically makes a beautiful sound like Miss Melissa when she's up here playing on it. You actually have to practice that thing like a lot. Yes, a lot. And you have to have some, shall I say, talent. So a month goes by and another month goes by and it's a downhill spiral. And I'm like, honey, you're going to practice your flute? She's like... Well, what, what I found out was she had been practicing her flute, but the reason I didn't hear it is because no sound comes out of it. She couldn't even make the thing squeal. It was so pitiful. So when it comes time to, you know, in band, you, you sit in order. So there's first chair, that's the best person, and then there's Kayla, all the way as far the other direction you can be. So when it comes time for the band to play for the parents, I'm not making this up, okay? What I'm about to tell you is the actual accounts from the North Gulfport High School, uh, Junior High Band. The band director, bless his heart, he called Kayla and Caitlin over and he said, now listen, we're going to play tonight and your parents are all going to be here and everything. And he said, just move your fingers. Do not blow into the instrument. Yes, and so if I could just explain to you these two at the end down there and they're just smiling and their fingers are just waving. You know what I mean? It was the worst lip sync I mean, you've ever seen in your life. It was at, all the other parents were like, so is this like ventriloquism here or something? Like what's happening here with this thing? So sometimes, but that's a, a good parent doesn't make all your decisions. Those are life lessons that you learn in the confines and safety of the parameters that God gives us. Now, isn't He's not going to make every choice for you. He's not going to tell you exactly what you ought to do in every situation. Well, I'm grateful for that. So rather than make the choices for us, tell us exactly what to do, he provides these general guidelines to give us protection and then teach us principles by which we can learn to make wise choices within those guidelines. Now, God has always been this way. This should not be new news to you. You see, Eden is proof positive that God is a God who values freedom and not rules. When God created the world in perfection the way He wanted it, 
He put us in an environment where we had utter freedom to do anything we wanted to do. How many rules were in Eden? One rule. There's only one. You know, God's perfect environment of togetherness, fellowship, and intimacy is in an environment where everything's safe and you have absolute freedom. Isn't that something? I mean, think about it. All the trees in the garden were bearing fruit, weren't they? Did God say, now listen, on Mondays I want you to eat apples. On Tuesdays I want you to do this. On Wednesday, no, you know what He said? He said, hey, have a free-for-all. Make all the fruit salad you want. You can do anything you want. I mean, think about the garden with me for a second. You got a man, you got a woman in, naked in a perfect environment and absolute freedom and one rule. Sounds like a good father to me. It's good. We step over the line of freedom. So when we've crossed the line of freedom in a particular decision, we don't have to worry about the discipline of the Lord, nor do we have to worry about messing up His plan for us. No, no. No, you don't. You know, there's, you know how to mess His plan up? Disobey His Word. You obey His Word, you don't have to ever worry about His plan. Don't ever worry about it. You know what His plan is? His plan is the Bible. That's His plan. That's the plan. You can't mess up the plan if you obey the Bible. Romans chapter 14. You know, so many times in Scripture, the where we see this freedom comes, come out, so oftentimes is in the New Testament with regards to food because there was so much legalism and craziness going on with food. And you look at Romans 14 and God says, listen, don't judge people based on what they eat or don't eat. Just eat it. It's okay. If you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. If they eat it, it's fine. Let them eat it. Don't, don't get wrapped up in... It's okay. You cross the line of freedom. I'm not saying anything about don't... You know, I, I, it's, you're, you're fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, judge nothing before it's time. Until the Lord comes, who will bring forth the light, the hidden things of darkness, and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Now, now what's he going to bring? What's he going to bring to light? The, the our hearts, the, the 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 thoughts and intention of our hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. But don't come to conclusions about. Don't start saying, "Well, I already know what the puzzle is. I can already tell you what the picture is." No, you don't. No, you don't. Don't judge anything before it's time. Give it time. Now, in these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and to the Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Boy, that is good advice. Don't think beyond what is written. So here's a note. Because sometimes people make this mistake, and I can see where they make it. When, when God gives freedom in decisions... It does not mean that those decisions are unimportant by any stretch of the imagination or that God doesn't care about them. Some of the most important decisions we make, as I've already illustrated, God gives lots of freedom. It's not God saying, well, this doesn't matter. See, some people have this, this wacko idea of God that the things that He says do this and do this and do this. Those are the most important things and then everything else is secondary to that. That's not true. That's not true. 
Everything that he says we should do, we ought to do. But that doesn't make that decision more important or less important than another one. Listen, the right decision is always valuable. Always. And, and which decisions does God care about in our life? All of them. My goodness. All of them. See, many issues are not settled by Scripture, yet they have great ramifications in our lives. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can say, you know, there's some decisions I've made in my life that have, that have created a great deal of pain for me. And the Bible doesn't speak directly to them, but I made decisions and I didn't use wisdom. And it was bad. And I exercised freedom outside the, the parameters that God gives. Alright, so you step across the line of freedom. So here's number three, but it's really the second question. So does the Bible speak to it? Now I'm into the realm of freedom. And then here we go. It's real quick after this. See, it's the first part takes all the time. Then after this, it's like boom, boom, you make a decision. Alright, what's the wisest choice? Here we go. The Bible doesn't say what I ought to do exactly. I've stepped over the line of freedom. So now I'm looking at multiple possibilities, all of which are acceptable to God. So now I'm going to ask the question, well, what's the wise thing to do in this situation? You see, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are, well, they're lawful for me, but they don't edify. Just my famous saying is, just because you can doesn't mean you should. I say that all the time. Just because you can does not mean you should. So you may have the freedom to do something, but my goodness, it may not be helpful. It may not edify. So then, therefore, you shouldn't do it. See, we may be able to do something with a clear conscience, but first, think about that choice and how it may contribute or detract from our spiritual life. So, for example... There may be no moral implication to your occupation. You may have an opportunity to advance in your career. You may have an opportunity to shift over and work in another department or even to go into a new career field. And there's no moral implication. It's not like you're, you know, you're working at a desk job and then all of a sudden you, know, you have, you have a, 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 an opportunity to, to you know, do something that's immoral. That's not what I'm talking about. Either job is acceptable to God. So, okay, now what's the wise thing to do here? And then you begin to think about, is it, how does this detract? What are the spiritual implications or ramifications of which job I take? Or where do I move? Or what college do I go to? Or whatever the case may be. Do I have surgery? Do I not have surgery? The doctor says, well, you need surgery. Eventually. So do you have surgery now? Do you not have surgery? Do you let this doctor do it? Do you get a second opinion? Do you go over here? Do you... Now, is there any moral? There's no moral implication in that. So what do you do? Well, what's the wise thing to do? You start thinking about the, what are the, in what ways will this detract from or, or build up? Will this be helpful? How will this be helpful? 
What? And then you start thinking about the timing as it relates to other things in your family, in your schedule, with this, with that. Just think it through. There's wisdom in there. You know, see, the key to understanding wisdom beyond what it is, it's the application of information, but wisdom, it, it thinks forward. Wisdom doesn't get tangled up in the immediacy of the moment. So you always know when you're thinking wise or when you're speaking to someone wise. Because if, if someone asks me a question, well, what should I do in this situation? The first thing I'm going to do once I've, you know, peeled through the biblical implications of everything, once we cross the line of freedom, I'm going forward. The only conversation I'm having is forward. If you do this, what happens down the road? If you do this, what happens down the road? Wisdom always looks forward. Always. It doesn't submit to the present. But what does everything in our world do? Submit to the present. It's all, listen, I, you don't make decisions about today. You make decisions about the future. Where will, if I make this decision today, where will it take me in the time to come? So what's, it's very simple. What's the wise thing to do? Now, lastly, this may be a surprise to some of you, but this is very important. This is the last question, but it's an important question. And there's a lot of times in my life when I get here, there's a lot of times when I don't, but I get here. And when I do, I ask this question. What do I want to do? Many decisions, even important decisions. They're going to be decided through Scripture or through wisdom. But there's going to be things that filter through that grid. And you know what? As you apply wisdom and you think forward and you think, you know what, if I do this looking forward, it's going to be okay. And if I do this looking forward, I think it's going to be equally okay. And so now, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Now, this is a great question, but it's got to be in its proper place. It has to be subordinate. The downfall is asking this question too soon. It's got to be subordinate. Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have, have always obeyed, not just in my presence only, but much more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Now look at what it says. You're working all this out. You've obeyed in my presence and in my absence. But God works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. You know what that says? God's working in, in your wants. You see, this is how you get to God will give you the desires of your heart. Think about all the I think back on all the decisions that have that have come in my life down to what do I want to do? And you know what God gave me? What I wanted to do. That's what he did. God's working to will and to do. He's working in that. For his good pleasure. 
Ecclesiastes 11. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. Look at the freedom here. And in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. He says, look, go. But just make sure that you know that if you get this out of order, you're going to answer for it. Like he's saying, you're, you're free. You're free. Walk in my spirit, you're free. Make these choices. But just know, as a warning, it's, that's a good father. That's not a scary father. That's a good father. So just like any other areas in our life, just any other area, look, it's going to take time, y'all, for this decision-making process to become a habit. But when you can develop a habit of making good decisions, I mean, it takes time. But over time, as you develop a, a knowledge and a, and a comfort and an assurance of what the Bible says, so things aren't catching you off guard, so you're not hearing things and going, that's in the Bible? or My, I never heard, you know. But when you, the more you have familiarity and command of the Scripture, then you're able to just take that in. You're able to, to step over the line of freedom and know, have confidence. And know, ask yourself, what's the wise thing to do? And, and then finally, get down to, well, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? But when that becomes a habit in your life, what value does that have? Just every day, day in, day out, as you think about the decisions and the choices you make, and you, you think about how you invest your time, and you think about how you spend your money, and you think about the things that you do and the things that you don't do. And, you know, I mean, and there's always going to be, there's always going to be, uh, there's always going to be times where you're going to make decisions, you're going to regret them. And let them be a learning experience. See, I would submit to you that tonight a lot, of, a lot of good people who, for the most part, have really good intentions and who desire in most arenas of their life want to make wise choices. But they chose not to come to church so they could watch a football game. See, I think that's a very poor decision. And the way they'll judge that decision is, is that they'll think, well, what difference does it make? I mean, I don't always go to church. I miss church for other things. Sometimes I get sick and it's not the end of the world. Or sometimes, you know, uh, one of my kids is sick or this happens or that happens. But that's not true, is it? It's not the same, is it? There's a difference between 
not being here because you're sick and making a conscious decision to stay home to watch a football game, that's a poor decision. And this is how it will be because it won't think forward. It'll think in the immediacy. And so here's how that plays out. Is that today I make that decision. And that's fine. And then tomorrow, it will seem like no harm, no foul. But down the line, especially in all, what grieves me the most is in all the instances where there was little impressionable eyes watching that decision be made. And a lot of people, somewhat innocently or ignorantly, are teaching a wrong principle. And it will come back to get you. And it's not God saying, oh, I'm going to get you. It's just, let's be honest. You ought to know better, right? You ought to know better. We would all agree, we ought to know better. And so when you don't make a good decision, is it the end of the world? No, but learn from it. Learn. And say, you know what? I don't want to be here again. And so devote yourself to using wisdom. And I, I, I know this from experience. Early on, it is going to seem quite laborious. But by God's grace, you can become a skilled expert at making decisions for the glory of God. Next week, we'll finish this up. We'll pull it all together. And then we'll embark on an amazing journey through Joshua. Let me pray for you.